for choirs who lead us the ministry of music week after week. Let all God's people say, Amen. Over the next couple weeks, Alec and I will be doing a new sort of sermon series where we will choose a single word as a point of reflection for our scripture and sermon. This week, due to the weekend we are in, I chose the word memorial, not as we hear about it in our country necessarily, but as we hear about it in our scripture. The remembering of the past is very important throughout scripture. We heard in Isaiah God's promises echoing through the people. Can a mother forget her nursing child, God asks. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. These words of assurance and comfort were spoken to a people who had been forced out of their homeland, whose homes and temple had been knocked to the ground. The memorials of their world had been destroyed, but God's promise to the people in Isaiah is that they are still remembered and cherished. Now we turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14. This passage is often read at funerals as words of comfort, but it is also worth noting again that it is Christ's own funeral sermon He is giving a long poetic speech to his disciples just days before he is to be killed. Jesus knows what is coming. He knows that his body is about to be destroyed. And before this happens, he wants to speak words to his disciples, to inscribe his word upon their living hearts so that they'll carry those words forth in the troubling days to come. So with our minds tuned to what the Spirit might be speaking to us here and now, let us turn to this text in John, chapter 14. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, Let us be on our way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do we approach memorials and the act of remembering the dead with our lives of faith? In our current society, we often divide the living from the dead with strong clinical lines. But this hasn't always been the case. Memorial Day as a celebration, a time of tradition, began after the Civil War as a time when families would gather to clear graves in cemeteries of soldiers 
cemeteries which speckled the whole land. It is a tradition that seems to have started in both the south and the north around the same time. People wanted to care for the graves of their dead loved ones. This tradition has continued in some families and faith traditions across the generations. Last year, I read a description of one family's annual reunion at the gravestones. It was a memory written by Melissa Music Nussbaum. Here's what she writes. I grew up among grandparents who went every year to their birthplaces for the family grave cleaning and dinner on the grounds. Back to Talar and Kosi and Colorado City, they went to chop weeds and mow and plant and keep the graves of their parents and siblings. They brought baskets of food, fried chicken and green beans cooked with fatback and new potatoes and peach pie and cornbread, food to eat when they broke from work at midday. Many of the dead had been born in other places, Mississippi and Tennessee and Louisiana, but civil war or the quest for cheap land and lots of it brought them west to Texas. It was not an easy or always welcome journey. By the time I was born in Tulia, Texas, local cemeteries, including ours, advertised perpetual care. It meant that the graves were mown and the gravel walks tended. But in my childhood, there were no hydrants or sprinklers to water either the grass or the rose bushes and lilacs that mourners planted. So we would ride out to the cemetery with our grandparents who carried buckets of water in the bed of the pickup along with hoes and rakes and shovels. I live in Colorado now. My mother's birthday is August 18th, a good time for a picnic, which is what my daughter organizes at her grandmother's grave every year around that time. We take out blankets and food and kids and settle in around the headstone to eat and talk and tell stories about the woman that the grandchildren and great-grandchildren call a two. There has to be fried chicken and Coca-Cola, since Coke syrup was one of my mother's most trusted medicines. There has to be something made with ripe, late-summer peaches. And I say there has to be homemade pimento cheese sandwiches, though I am the only one who will partake. My kids draw the line at fatback, but my daughter did make red beans and rice with sausage. I tell my, children of a my grandchildren of a place and a time where no one ever ate out, except perhaps to grab a sandwich at the Herdon Jones lunch counter on the square. I tell about the women, their great-grandmothers and great-aunts who cooked three meals a day, with meat at every meal and dessert at two of them. My gra grandkids try to imagine a world without pizza, I try to imagine a world without 24-hour televised news keeping us all awake and anxious. The little ones run through the grass and run their hands over the angel wings on a nearby grave. They sing Red River Valley for a two. They sing Amazing Grace and Day is Done. We all say a prayer, giving thanks for the men and women who have gone on before us. When we think of memorials, of building things that help us to remember what has happened before, we often think of stone monuments and granite pillars. We think of impressive buildings and names chiseled onto plaques. 
We think of inscriptions that will last long after our death. Reflections like Melissa's show us how the stories of the living and the dead are still intertwined. Caring for these memorials, these gravestones, became a ritual that gathered her family together, pulling them from different corners of the country to trim grass and tell stories and sing songs and picnic. What I love about this story is that it is as much about loving the living as it is about caring for the dead. Sometimes we can get our emphasis wrong when we think about memorials. We think memorials are only about sitting around and remembering the past. We think it's about magnificent structures and names that loom large and permanent. We can think this same way with churches, too. We can think it's important to have the best and brightest building in order to show the record of our true devotion, in order to memorialize the impressive things that we've done in the name of God. Often in the life of faith, we are in danger of building memorials to our glory rather than to God's. Yet upon reading scripture like these verses today, I am struck by how much of the Old and New Testament was written for communities that had no permanent structure in their lives, no settled home or worship space. These scriptures were written for groups of people who were on the move. God's first home among the Hebrew people was in a tent. And eventually a magnificent temple was built to God's glory, but twice it was built and twice it was destroyed and by the time we get to scriptures of the New Testament, we are again following a wandering teacher and preacher who is homeless with his band of disciples traveling from town to town. And later, in the formation of the early church, the Apostle Paul will always be moving from one place to another, starting churches around the Mediterranean. The promises we hear, these scriptural promises for remembrance, are often being poured out on nomads and exiles and political fugitives. God's promises in Isaiah echo in the ears of people who have seen their homes destroyed and their homeland captured. Yet God asks these people to trust that they are remembered, that they are still important. They are not receiving proof of this in terms of big buildings or high towers. They must remember what God has done for them and with them. They must remind themselves of what God is still promising to do with their lives. Your names are inscribed on the palms of my hand, we hear. And Jesus said, it is my peace that I leave with you. Remembering the past is important. And yet so often in the scriptures, remembering the past does not mean building stone monuments or sacred memorials. So often remembering the past in the scriptures does not mean revering it as something that is long gone. When the scriptures remember what God has done in the past, they are remembering something that should not be memorialized as a one-time achievement. When Jesus asks people to remember his words, he does not say, now make a memorial to these words and sit and wait for me. He says, remember these words 
here is my peace. Share my peace. Share my love. Tell this story. Rise, let us be on our way. In the scriptures, remembering isn't about building up sacred stones. Remembering is about building up a transformed life. Remembering doesn't mean being frozen in the past. It means living faithfully into the future. Remembering means telling a story of how the past is shaping us right here and right now. It means hearing God's promises and choosing to live into an entire new reality, a whole new way of being, a whole new way of seeing this world. It is easy to forget these connections between the past and the present and the future. And indeed, I have come to believe that this is part of the conversation that we forget when we talk about controversial memorials, like the statues of Confederate generals and leaders who fill our city. It's one part of the conversation we often leave out as we focus on tradition or cost or who is or who is not offended by them. History is important, but an important question also is this. How are those monuments of those leaders continuing to shape us today? If we take seriously the act of memorializing, if we spend money and time on caring for and keeping up certain monuments and places around this city, then we must acknowledge that what we lift up about the past shapes what we are lifting up about our present and what we are hoping to continue to lift up into our future. So what are these memorials and monuments saying about who we are in Richmond right now? What are they saying about how we are choosing to live here in this day and age? Indeed, what do they say about whose stories we are comfortable putting onto pedestals and keeping clean and mowed and looking nice? And whose stories are we more comfortable keeping buried under interstates and parking lots? Remembering the past is important. Tradition is important. The scriptures show us this. But we cannot pretend that remembering and memorializing is only about benignly revering something that happened a long time ago. After all, as believers, our faith would start to shrivel the moment we find ourselves saying, God did magnificent things in the past. Let's build memorials the end. Our faith shows us the significance of remembering. Our scriptures tell us how our memorializing continues to shape our lives today, continues to shape the lives of those who live and talk and breathe about these memorials. Remembering the past means making statements about how we want to live into the present and into the future. I learned a little bit of a lesson in past tense versus present tense when I worked at the hospital as a chaplain. The director of bereavement services corrected us when we talked about families, talked to families about their loved ones who had died. The director said, do not say that these people loved their deceased relative. Do not use the past tense. Use the present tense. They still love the person who has died. Their love isn't over. It looks different. It is taking on a different shape. 
but it is still an active and living love. The deceased person is still shaping their life in some very present way. Here in our church, we've entered into a season of capital campaign. This campaign has arrived after a whole year of conversation, prayer, and discernment in true Presbyterian fashion. It's been a conversation among committees and many different councils and task forces around the church. We had many discussions over the year about what we should spend money on and what we should not. Plans were drawn up and discarded and drawn up anew. Conversations were started and rerouted and returned to over and over again. And through all the discernment, we kept returning to this question, how will we enhance our living worship now? What do we want to raise money for now in order to more fully embody Christ's love and shine the light of God's grace at this time and in this place? And so after a year of prayer and discernment with councils and session, the committee decided that yes, we do need to spend some of the money on our building. Not because it is a memorial to a glorious past, but because it is the house of our current vibrant worshiping life. Look how many of you are here on a sunny Memorial Day weekend. This is a vibrant worshiping life. And these walls indeed welcome a diverse array of people, five, six, sometimes seven days a week. And so, yes, We should spend money on sprinklers that are up to code. And we do want to spend money on lights that help us read our bulletin. We want bathrooms and ramps that are more accessible for those with disabilities. We also want to invest in people and ministries that are alive and healthy here in Richmond and in Guatemala and in many other places. If we are living with lives of faith, Memorializing the past must never be about just keeping things the way they always were. It must be about loving here and now, remembering God's words and Christ's assurances here and now, and believing that these ancient words, these traditional, historic, ancient words are still shaping us, that they are still changing our lives. We are inscribed on God's hands. We are not left orphaned. We are filled and surrounded by the Spirit who readies us to go forth and do new things. So how do we choose to remember and live into these promises? What do we choose to have our memorials to God say about how we are living and worshiping here and now in this city, in the year 2016, living and worshiping with all of our faith and energy and love and light? Rather than focusing on dead stones, how do we focus on becoming living memorials, living testaments to what God has promised, to what the Spirit is doing with and through us, even in this moment? God has spoken to us in the past, and God is still speaking. Like Melissa's family who gathered around gravestones to picnic and laugh and tell stories and be together as a family. Let us remember that our church is not built on dead stones, but that it is built on warm and living and vibrant stones. Let us remember that our church is built on the living stones of God's love and grace and comfort and peace. 
It is built on living stones that become living memorials to God's beautiful and precious kingdom. Let us remember the words of Christ in John. Let us remember the promises of God throughout the scriptures. Let us remember that we are the living memorials of faith offered to the whole world, here and now and in the days to come. Please join me in prayer. Holy Creator, the world can build up and knock down, and yet you reign. You abide with us no matter what comes, and you build up your kingdom with living stones of love and peace and joy. Show us how to be part of your living memorial in the world today. Amen.